Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about a movie that really does not need much introduction. We are talking about the new ninth movie from Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. With me today is Joe Black returning to the show. And uh, just so you know, after this episode, later this week, we're also going to have a special episode where we rank our favorite Tarantino movies in order. So look forward to that as well. You can, of course, subscribe to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join the Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces where we continue the conversation about all these movies. And you know what? With that said, we got a long one for you. So let's jump into our conversation about Quentin Tarantino's ninth film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right, so back on the show today, we've got with us Joe Black. Joe, how's it going, man? Oh, it's going. Good to be back. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Always glad to have you on the show. It's been a little while, but um, I we were going to have our mutual friend, Chad Clinton Freeman, on this one, but he unfortunately had to sit this one out. Um, but I'm certainly, I, I think of, of all the people that could fill in for him, I think you're you're definitely a great choice. <laughs> I think oh, you're, well, you're going to do you. wonderful. You're going to do wonderful here on the show today. <laughs> thank you. I've seen the movie enough times. Yeah. I, I hope that I could... <laughs> it sure sounds like it. Um, so so yeah, Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, this is, I who knew when we started this podcast that we'd even have another Tarantino movie. I mean, it's an event when these things happen. Um, but I'm 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 happy whenever they happen. It's just such a his movies are just so rich and so full of so much to really you know get into. You know, the the number one thing I want to say at the top of the episode before we start getting into some puzzle pieces is that with, with somebody like Tarantino, there are so many influences that he right up front will tell the world, like, these are my influences for this movie. And so it's, it's an interesting filmmaker to try to approach with our show's uh, little setup that we do here. Right, right. No, I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, I think where I'm going to be coming from with a lot of my puzzle pieces is you know, I, I think possibly inspired him, even though he, I don't think he mentioned any of these, but I mean, there's certainly, I think movies that, you know, recall similar themes and things that he's doing here with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, that was kind of the approach I was going to take more, less of like what his influences were, but things that are like thematically similar and how yeah. they all kind of, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, except for the first piece that I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that one's a direct, like obvious influence. I was going to say though, about like, I live in Los Angeles and this is my third Tarantino film since living in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, it's always a big deal, but nothing like this one yeah. has happened before. Like this one, um, every theater showing has sold out throughout the weekend. Um, they added show times at every AMC, the one in Century City, every screen was dedicated to it and they're all sold out all weekend. Um, whole blocks have shut down. Everybody's talking about this movie. It's it's really nice to see everybody getting excited again about movies that have nothing to do with 
you know, boomerang shields and <laughs> iron men. Yeah, for sure. That that actually makes me wish I was in LA right now, but uh No, 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 you're yeah. fine. <laughs> we have earthquakes here. Oh, yeah. You know? Hey, we have earthquakes here. That's that's the new thing. And we've got uh uh gra- grasshoppers all over the place. But that's another story for another time. Um <laughs> we're we're being invaded. But uh yeah, no. That, I mean, it's obviously an ode to the city, so I'm sure that it's like just such a major deal. Uh, out there oh when he was shooting it too it was insane everything was shut down for weeks and weeks at a time like hollywood boulevard he was shutting it down block by block for like two months straight and when you watch the movie they literally just drive through it that's like oh it must have been crazy the filming i'm sure there must have been so many like sightings of this stuff happening oh i live right there so i got so bored of watching production like after like the fourth week i'm like ah i gotta get to work (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's time for us to get to work. Why don't we get into some puzzle pieces? What do you got for your first puzzle piece? Okay, so the first time I saw the movie, I immediately saw Brad Pitt's first outfit, and I was like, oh, wow, he's definitely dressed like Billy Jack. Um, like with the, you know, the straight denim jacket with the zipper and with the moccasins. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I actually like went home and looked it up, and apparently, yes, they did kind of base the character of cliff booth like off of tom laughlin who played billy jack um i don't know if you're familiar with billy jack it's a film series um starting late 60s went through the mid 70s um have you heard of it i have not no i i I think the name sounds familiar but i don't really know the movies it is the most bonkers bizarre film series it makes no sense um (laughs) it's wonderful though it's about a half uh half white half native american uh, named Billy Jack, who was a Green Beret, you know, uh, a keto expert, like he's like a one man army. Uh-huh. And basically the majority of the franchise is him protecting a school of hippie progressive orphan children from uh, bad guys, whether they be um, bikers or evil politicians or the police. Um, they're very much about like uh, it was it was his it was Tom Laughlin, writer, director Tom Laughlin's response to like nixon era and segregation it was all hippie progressive ideas and about pacifism and create and being creative but it was very violent these movies are very violent they're pacifist movies that are very violent (laughs) and they're full of like rape and and i mean they're just insane um my parents let me see them when i was very young growing up in the 90s i dressed up as billy jack for halloween when i was a kid so I see where the Cliff Booth character, Tom Laughlin, was a very strange man. He wrote these movies and he directed most of them. Um, he was very strange, and he, but he really believed in what he was doing. As contradictory as the themes and messages and morals of these movies are, you can tell that he cared, and you can tell that he believed in Billy Jack, so much so that he almost believed Billy Jack was a real person. Hmm. Um, he one time famously said... Uh, the children of this nation only have two heroes to look up to Ralph Nader and Billy Jack. Um, yeah, he very fascinating. Um, I could go on and on about Billy Jack, Billy Jack. Uh, the third Billy Jack film was actually the first film to be released wide across the country on the same day. It's the first blockbuster release that he did himself on over a thousand screens. He bought out advertisement time on the news, on the news and every major outlet. Um, it made $11 million opening weekend and tanked after that because it was a terrible, ridiculous three-hour-long film um, that's just way out there. But then people at Universal said, maybe we could do that with our Shark movie. <laughs> and then the summer blockbuster was formed. So even in the spirit of that, I could see where this movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, was influenced by Billy Jack. Sure. By this like hippie, progressive idea, very violent, um, with good intentions, completely changing the way that Hollywood is done. Yeah. Um, which is very much in, in tune with the themes of this movie. I mean, even Billy Jack himself being half Native American, but acting like a cowboy. Sure. Um, one of the genius aspects of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that that juxtaposition of the Old West and hippies. Um, like, you know, these these almost like uh, two sides of the moral coin, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And the Manson family living 
on a, a Western ranch. Like what a like how did we how did no other movie ever do this before? Sure, yeah, like, yeah. Really play up this brilliant metaphor that's so obvious when you think about it. I mean, for God's sake, the main man's kid's name is Tex. Yeah. Like his <laughs> name is Tex. It's it's really interesting. It's um the handoff that he, that's on display in this movie is wonderful. Well, <laughs> yeah, I like I said, I haven't seen the Billy Jack films, but I mean, all all of what you're saying there just sounds so interesting. Such a a, a, a we kind of weird place to get the character from, but uh, sure sounds like like there's probably a lot to that. Yeah, I mean, it's like this noble sincerity that that Billy Jack has, and that 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 Cliff Booth has. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when he, I mean, are, do we do spoilers on this? I can't. Sure. Remember. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, you know, when when Leo tells him, "Hey, I can't pay for you anymore," he's not resentful. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, that's a good idea. You know, do what you got to do. Yeah. You know, when he's like injured and he's like, I'll go to the hospital. He's like, your wife is in there. Like, <laughs> don't be ridiculous. It's much like Billy Jack. There's a scene in Billy Jack where the evil mayor's son who's just running amok because he can, like Billy Jack's finally had enough of him. The mayor's son kills this kid in cold blood. Billy Jack goes to kill him and he kicks in the kid's door and he's like in bed with a 13 year old girl. <laughs> And Billy Jack just looks at him. He looks at the girl. He says, "How old are you?" She goes, 13. And he just almost cries. And he goes, "Get out!" And he walks towards the bad guy. The kid pulls a gun on him, shoots him in the gut. And Billy Jack doesn't even react. He just karate chops the kid in the throat. Damn, we need. We, we need. Head. We need a Billy Jack for this era. That's what right. We need. Well, I mean, Cliff Booth is pretty fucking close. Yeah, man. we need. We need like, more Cliff Booth adventures for sure. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, like when he goes to beat the shit out of that hippie for, you know, stabbing the tire. Yeah. It's not even like personal. It's like, no, like you don't get to do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And same thing with Billy Jack. Billy Jack's like, no, you don't get to murder and rape people. Are you crazy? <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. Well, I, I'm going to go with my first puzzle piece, um, which was kind of the first thing I thought of once I, I was watching it. And uh, that is the Coen Brothers Hail Caesar, um, which mm. is another movie that deals with, you know, recreating that classic Hollywood and, and uh, um, the, the whole the whole Hollywood structure, the system and getting into recreations of those, you know, old classic films, which is something that, uh, Tarantino is getting a chance to do here in, in, in many ways. And then also, um, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, Alden Enrich's character, I believe is his name. Uh, he, he's kind of, you know, almost like a, a Leonardo DiCaprio's character. It's kind of the same kind of thing going on there with, with their characters, with the kindness of films that they're in and everything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but that was definitely the first thing I thought of as this is kind of almost in a way, even though you know, we get into totally different directions that the film eventually ends up going. Um, but in a way it starts off as like Tarantino's version of what the Coens are doing. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, how, how I didn't make that comparison in my mind is beyond me because, funny, the Coen Brothers movie that came to mind for me was Inside Lewin Davis. Mm-hmm. I almost was going to make that one of my puzzle pieces, but Hail Caesar is much better. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you find, um, not to imply a criticism here about either film, because I really love both of them, mm-hmm. but that as like accurate as the films that they're shooting or the tv shows that he's putting on display once upon a time in hollywood as accurate as they are in ways they're also a little uh they're also a little uh out of place like i feel like both the coen brothers and the and the and quentin couldn't help but be better than the the old time tv shows of the old time movies right right uh, like bounty law and and uh, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, about the show Bounty Law and the other show, um, Lancer, that they're doing, mm-hmm. the acting is too good. Right. The right. writing is too good. The, the, the lighting is too natural. Yeah. Um, same thing with the Coen brothers and Hail Caesar. While very much so in the spirit of those classic Hollywood 50s films, like all the like, like the homoerotic overtones of it and like the, you know, the like kind of on the nose sexuality. It's like, yeah. It's it's interesting that they chose to not be true. It's almost like uh, that one band, I can't remember their name, but they're like kind of popular right now and they sound like a lot like Led Zeppelin, but they're not they're not Led mm. Zeppelin even a little bit, you know? Right, but right, but right. it's like they're doing that thing, but 
you know, they're, they're too clean. They're too like, they're too produced, right. you know, and it's just, it's not exactly the same thing. It's like, impossible. maybe that's, maybe that's them playing up to the romanticism of it all too, I guess. Sure. You know what I mean? Like maybe showing us how they see these things. You know, I know that Quentin talks about how much he loves William Shatner in Star Trek, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, me being a lifelong Star Trek fan, you kind of learn to more like, you're not really like when you watch Star Trek, if you're a true fan, not to speak for all fans, but like the quality isn't on your mind. Yeah. You're really able to get wrapped up in what's happening. You know what I mean? Um, the tone and the spirit of the show. So maybe that's what they're doing in Hail Caesar. And that's what he's doing in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's that's very possibly a part of it as well. Absolutely. They both have spectacle, too. Sure. Like the Hail Caesar stuff is not just jokes. They're not making fun of that era. Right. Like the, the dance numbers are wonderful. Oh yeah, they are. Absolutely. Yeah. What's mm. his name? Shannon Tatum kills it. No dames. So good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what do you got for your next puzzle piece? Okay. Like, you know me, I kind of, I try to go in chronological order. Sure. Um, but, uh, the next piece that I had in mind was, uh, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Nice. Um, this one might sound like a bit of a stretch, but it was the only other movie I could think of that kind of had this thing where this movie is a buddy movie, mm-hmm. you know, but um, uh, much like Bill and Ted is a buddy movie. And there have been many buddy movies throughout the years, but these two movies are the only ones that immediately come to mind where the two buddies never fight. Mm-hmm. They never split apart. They never have that like, we're not friends anymore. We're not talking to each other. You know, you think about every other major duo, like think about like, you know, Wayne and Garth from Wayne's World, yeah. or you know what I mean? Harold and Kumar, or, you know, they always have like the big breaking off and then they come back sure. together as friends. Yeah, yeah. Bill and Ted and this movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they never have that, no matter what they're facing. And that solid foundation where you're never afraid of the two of them parting ways that foundation makes you feel safe and thought of in a way ah. like, um, and so I feel like with the risks he's taking with once upon a time in Hollywood, not only with how he's changing history, but also with just the structure of the movie or lack thereof, depending on how you want to talk about it, mm. that solid foundation that you don't have to worry about that friendship. There's something very comforting about that. And it makes it much more, you're, you're much more willing to go along on the ride, whatever that ride is. I, I gotta say that this may be my favorite puzzle piece of this entire like podcast so far. I, I, think, I think that is the greatest oh. puzzle piece. I mean, that, that is so interesting. Um, it, it's such a, oh, a sweet cool. and positive uh, outlook on on it on, on on a connection between these two movies that like I don't I would have never thought of, but I love it. I think it's so great. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, I... Glad to share. It. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's hilarious. And you know that actually uh, that that reminds me of one of my favorite parts of the movie. Actually, is uh, in the end when they're watching his show and they're just like laughing. And I'm sure mm-hmm. as as a creator of films yourself that you have had that moment. You know, watching a movie that you worked on and just you know sitting on the couch with your friends and just loving the little parts that happen and everything. I love. Oh that. yeah, I mean. There's there's one movie I made about five years ago or six years ago with my buddy um, Jimmy, who he's not an actor or anything, but like we were so short on actors. I threw him in front of the camera. He's my camera guy. Mm-hmm. And he had to play like a um, like a CIA operative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and Jimmy, I mean, he's he's a big, sweet hamster looking fellow. Yeah. <laughs> but he like so in the scene, he has to like pound on this door and then he has to shoot the handle. Right. Yeah. But Jimmy in his like zeal like with his mouth made a <laughs> sound effect when he shot the door. <laughs> that rule. And I, of course I, I left the shot and I mean, I of course did the sound over, but I love showing it to my friends and watching that beat where I'm like, here he goes. Yeah. And you see Jim <laughs> every time. <laughs> oh yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> well, I will go with my next puzzle piece. And, uh, I think I actually brought this up last time we were covering a movie. It is uh, Tropic Thunder, the Ben Stiller film, uh, skewering mm. the uh, the entertainment industry and movies and movie making. And uh, 
you know, especially the main reason I, I thought of it with this movie is actors' insecurities. And uh, with, with mm. Leonardo DiCaprio's character and his insecurity about his, uh, you know, the place of his career and where his career is going and all that. And that, that's like a, a big driving force be, behind his character. And I, I think that that insecurity is something that is so... Uh, it's such a silly way captured by Tropic Thunder. And I, I just think of that movie so highly. I, I love it so much. And, <laughs> and I just, I think that it does such a great job of, of lovingly skewering the, uh, you know, the world of actors. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, uh, I, I'm not a fan of that one, yeah. but you're not wrong in your assessment at, at all, sure. uh, in my opinion. <laughs> um, that is something that's interesting about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, though, that like, the trailer almost tries to sell certain beats as like satirical. Mm. Like when you see in the trailer, when he's like the 14 fists of McCluskey, where he's like frying the Nazis with the, with the uh, flamethrower, it's yeah. like silly. Right. But in the movie, if you watch how Quentin structures that, that insert, there's so much buildup in the footage to Leo doing that. Yeah. That suddenly it's a real scene. Yeah. And it's not out of context. So it's not like a joke. It may be a little funny, but it's not a joke. Sure. This movie is very, um, very uncinematic in that way. It's not a satire. Mm -hmm. It's not a parable. It's not a, um, and so it is a, it is a nice contrast to Tropic Thunder, which is a total satire of sure. the insecurities that, uh, Tropic Thunder is almost self-depreciating. Yeah. No, um, absolutely. It is a hundred percent. And it, and in this one, what's so fascinating is that this one is almost like a movie for actors in a way, because like. Kind of by the structure of when Leo's doing Lancer, like he he fucks up the scene and it's he's so embarrassed. He has that breakdown. Then he goes back on set and he nails it. Right. Mm -hmm. But like it's not as like cinematic as any other movie would make it like his mess up doesn't seem that bad. Sure. And his like triumph, he doesn't give, you know, a Daniel Day Lewis performance. Right. Right. But that's what it's really like to be on set. Sure. That's what it's really like to like nail something. And um. This movie's just so full of love. Like the movie is just full of love. Mm -hmm. um, unlike Tropic Thunder. Right. <laughs> well, and you know, and I think everything you're saying right there, it, it, it speaks to something that is kind of a criticism, but not of the movie. But right. if, if, anyone who's like a member of our popcorn and puzzle pieces uh, Facebook group would have seen that we were all kind of complaining about the trailer to this movie. I think it was a really kind of piss poor trailer that didn't do a good job of selling the movie on what it really is. And, you know, and, and going into it, I absolutely thought this was going to be more of a satire of Hollywood. And sure. so I think that's why I think, and I've only seen it once so far. I have a feeling I'm going to really like this movie a lot more on my second viewing, kind of knowing what I'm getting into to ahead of time you know i think it's gonna make for a better experience the second time i i the first time i saw it i saw it uh, a week before it opened at the uh, arc light in 70 millimeter mm. and um and uh very funny thing i was sitting in a chair all by myself like the chair i was in is like sectioned off like a little island mm -hmm. you know and um about halfway through the movie somebody grabbed my shoulder and got in my face and it was uh courtney love <laughs> and she goes she goes where the fuck am i supposed to sit and i was like what <laughs> and she's like oh sorry um anyways so i saw the movie that night and i didn't like it yeah i mean i, I certainly liked many things in it uh-huh um but i said to my friends afterward i was like i know that i'm gonna love that eventually right um and then the second time i saw it i, I actually got uh invited to the red carpet premiere two days later so i was at the red carpet premiere for the movie that's awesome um funny enough brad pitt who played joe black and meet joe black he and i were wearing <laughs> almost identical suits um <laughs> but uh the second time i saw it i liked it even less i was so bored by it hmm. um but the third time i saw it uh yesterday um i just fell head over heels in love with it that's awesome um I think it's because the first time I had to accept there was no story. And then the second time I had to accept that it's not about what's happening because not a lot happens in the movie. Sure. And the third time I think I finally got it that it's about what's going on, mm. not what's happening. Right, right. So. Inter interesting. Very interesting. Well, uh, what do you got for your next puzzle piece? Okay, uh, to totally uh, do a 180 from the uh, sweet, cute Bill and Ted uh, puzzle piece. Um, American Psycho? Okay. Um, 
while a much bleaker film, I, I just, you know, it's another film about like a transitioning of times, you know, and feeling obsolete and the insecurity of feeling obsolete and the extreme measures you go to mm. when you're feeling obsolete, both, you know, physically, psychologically, like the things you're willing to do, the compromises you're willing to make to stay relevant. Sure. Um, That's interesting. Thankfully, thankfully, Rick, I don't consider it all to be an anti-hero. Mm -hmm. I consider him to be just as, uh, quote unquote, doomed as Patrick Bateman, if you will. Um, but uh, I think that they're both like, because again, American Psycho, there isn't as much a story as there is just kind of like a pressure, mm. you know, um, much like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where like, there's not a story, we just all know what it's leading to. Sure, sure. You, you know what I mean? Um, so we're not watching him go on a journey. Right, we're exactly. Watching you know, much like Patrick Bateman. And I think they're equally fascinating. And I'm very happy to see a movie that is so loving and, and kind. Yeah. Um, being treated just as fascinating as, you know, naked Batman running down a hallway with a chainsaw. Sure. Sure. Um, <laughs> I'll just say, I'll take, I'll take Leo with a flamethrower over Christian Bale with a chainsaw. Any day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'll, Definitely take Leo with a uh, flamethrower in any movie. I, I'd love to see him use a flamethrower again sometime. I'm... Do you like Leo? Do you I, like Leo? I do. I do. You know, funny enough, though, I, I he's not like somebody I really love the way a lot of people seem to love him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, uh, generally, I like what he does, and I think he... He's had some very great standout performances over the years, um, but he's definitely like if I was making a list, he wouldn't really be on my list of my favorites. Honestly, outside of the work he's done with Scorsese, I find him to be a total wash mm. um, as an actor. And, um, and even in a couple of Scorsese, like I really think Wolf of Wall Street's pretty awful. Mm. Um, and I'm not I think a big his fan of that either. Yeah. yeah, I think his performance is very on the nose. But um, uh, The Aviator... Up until this film, The Aviator was the only time I've ever seen a Leo performance where I'm like, that's that's the performance. Sure, you know what sure. I mean? There it is. Um, and this one, uh, but this performance, I mean, even in Django, I didn't think he was anything. I mean, he's not bad. It's just like, replace him with anyone. Right. Put right. Channing Tatum in that part. Sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but in this film, I thought he was just absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. Like, like just really captivating. His scenes would be so boring if he wasn't. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, I've heard a few people be like, you could cut Sharon scenes out of this movie. I'm like, I don't think so. I think you could cut Rick. <laughs> like, that's the, you know, if it weren't for how sincere and wonderful Leo is in the movie. Sure, so sure. You win this round, Leo. <laughs> well, I, I think my next puzzle piece kind of goes uh, along really well uh, with what you were saying about American Psycho. Um, and that is the Charlie Kaufman film, Synecdoche, New York. Um, oh. because, and, and this is a, maybe a little out of left field, but I, I feel like, like Caden's little speech in there about how there's, you know, what do you say? There, there's 3 million people on this earth or whatever. And they all, they mm. all play their own part in, 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 you know, the story. They're all, they all exist for a reason, you know? Um, mm. and I feel like that is a big, uh, a big theme for what makes Once Upon a Time in Hollywood so great is that, uh, Rick Booth and, and I mean, Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton are finding their place in the story and that they still do, uh, they still have a reason. They still have a reason to exist in this world that, you know, at first they feel is uh, leaving them behind a little bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and I like that as the movie goes on, they become like almost more involved with the world around them. Like at the beginning of the movie, they're so isolated, sure. you know? Um, and like, I mean, Brad Pitt's feeding his dog for five minutes. <laughs> Which I almost said the long goodbye is one of my puzzle pieces. Um, but I thought that'd be a little too obvious and on the nose. And also like, because I mean, you know, that film, it opens with 10 minutes of Elliot Gould feeding his cat. Right. You know, and um, this movie, I'm like watching that dog scene. I'm like, uh-huh. I get what you're curry brand cat food. I get it. But um, they're just living their lives and slowly more they have to kind of come out of their shell. And like Leo has to decide when he comes out of his shell if he likes to be a part of this new world. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's his conflict at the end. I mean, he just went and started four movies. Yeah. You know, but here he is kind of with moppish, hippie-ish hair. <laughs> um, um, and uh, he hates hippies even more now. Sure. You know, it's, it's 
Synecdoche, New York. My God, I I think you're the only person still talking about that movie. I, um, I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, uh, I saw half of it once. Um, <laughs> it, it's and, it's uh, not an easy watch, that's for sure. Sure, yeah. If that ever plays here, because um, L.A., you know, they any excuse to play anything sure. ever, they do it. Yeah. I would definitely go give that a try in the theater. Um, I don't really like Charlie Kaufman. Oh, I, I love him. He's my favorite. But interesting. Yeah, I love the man. Love the man. He's written, but top ten of my favorite films are most of them are Charlie Kaufman related. So, <laughs> Anomalisa. Oh yeah, love them all. Yep. You want to talk about a movie about insecurity? Jesus. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that is for sure. Well, uh, what do you got for your next one? Uh, the Aviator. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um. Um. Yeah, just like a sprawling epic kind of like uh, that that takes a lot of its time indulging in a Hollywood that's forgotten. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, like Hollywood uh, likes to pretend that it doesn't have a past while celebrating the it's it. Hollywood has this tendency where they like to celebrate the things they want you to remember. Mm. Um, I remember there was this article a couple of years ago where somebody was like who's like lived here for 40 years and like, man, I miss when Hollywood had guts. Like when we dared to say like, dude, we love cocaine and tanning and thong bikinis. And um, now we're like, no, we, 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 we love whole foods. And um, we, we want to raise the minimum wage. And we, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. Hollywood used to be pretty audacious um, for better or worse. And, um, and, I don't know. It's Hollywood's almost like that child that doesn't like to look at the photos of itself when it was young and had the bowl haircut. Right. Right. You know? Um, and I think that both the aviator and, um, and once upon a time in Hollywood have a beautiful way of romanticizing the Hollywood of the past without, um, condoning it. Sure. Um, you know, you got Brad Pitt with like at the beginning when Leo's crying and he's like, he's like, don't cry in front of the Mexicans. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> You know, and you hear the audience go, oh, shit. But, you know, like, it's that's I mean, when I think back on it, I've seen the movie three times. I can't think of any person of color in uh, this film. Right. Yeah. Except for the stagehands on Lancer who are um, who are Hispanic. Uh huh. Um, you know, but like Old the movie doesn't wag a finger at that or, or imply that times it doesn't even imply that times were better back then. Right. Uh, much like the aviator. It's just like. These are just like, wasn't this kind of like cool? Isn't it, isn't it like romantic? That's mm -hmm. kind of the attitude. Isn't it romantic? Sure. Like, you know, because I think that that's the one thing that's missing from Hollywood right now. Um, not the, not the, you know, cocaine and tanning, which we've got plenty of that. <laughs> sure. But just this romantic idea, the, the romance, the notion that like, you know, we can celebrate the best things about something and by celebrating the best things about something others will strive to attain it mm -hmm. um hopefully through good means sure well i think that that's also part of the reason why it's so great when a quentin tarantino movie comes out because it gets people thinking about that and talking about about movies really you know i mean people don't talk and you know in a interesting way about movies when uh you know the next marvel movie comes out or you know the next fast and the furious movie comes out or whatever all respects to the fast and furious and marvel movies but um you know they just don't inspire that kind of conversation but tarantino right. sure does right yeah no i i agree i mean like i'm i'm kind of known as a looney bin jim around here where um <laughs> like i'll see transformers 4 and i'll speak thematically about what it's saying sure till the cows come home but um but or fast and the furious i love those damn movies <laughs> um but but what's what's really exciting about this movie hollywood loves to talk about itself mm -hmm. um that's just the truth they love themselves like the last two tarantino movies while big events of course out here it's nothing like this one mm -hmm. and partly because they were westerns right sure but this is hollywood and we love ourselves out here and we you know what i mean yeah and like so I think that if anything, the rest of the nation be damned. <laughs> this movie is kind of like, hey, Hollywood, you know what I mean? Yeah. Get talking again, you know, um, for the sake of everyone else, for God's sake. Right? For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Quentin. Love it. Well, uh, I will go with my next puzzle piece. Uh, it's a movie I 
didn't like that much, but I thought that there was a uh, a, a definite connection in the uh, inserting the star into these old classic scenes and uh, recreating classic uh, classic moments and things like that, uh, but in a, in a different way. But that still um, uh, brings a feeling of nostalgia, and that is Forrest Gump. Uh, oh, I thought you were gonna say Kung Pao. <laughs> well, Kung Pao. You know what? Can I just replace the puzzle piece with Kung Pao? Because I'd much rather talk about Kung Pao. But, uh, <laughs> why don't we? Why don't we say a little Forrest Gump, a little Kung Pao? Let's let's tie it or something like Perfect. that. Perfect. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, adding adding the the star into these these classic moments and uh, it creates a feeling of nostalgia. It it also it uh, you know it it. it it ties it ties this new movie to the past in a way that uh, it does it in a really incredible way. And I guess you know, even Forrest Gump, it was cool at the time, even if the movie is super sappy and you know just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would use the word um, awful. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, and I was about to say no offense to Forrest Gump, but honestly, fuck yeah, Forrest Gump. Terrible um, movie. Well, it is terrible, but. Okay, so this is really interesting. Again, that I didn't even think of this one. Oh, you're good at this. You must be the host. Um, <laughs> first of all, funny you bring up Forrest Gump because I'm sure you know notoriously defeated Pulp Fiction. I use the word defeated. Yes, uh, absolutely. At the Oscars, yeah. which is considered to be one of the great, you know, uh, injustices of the Academy's history. Oh yeah, um, we, we we have a new uh, a new podcast here on on this network called Awesome Movie Year that I'm producing, and we're starting off with the year 1994, and that has absolutely come up uh, in the conversations about how crazy that is that that happened. Well, when you do 98, and you guys try to say that uh, Saving Private Ryan is better than Shakespeare and Love, have me on because I'll stand in Shakespeare and Love's corner and I'll come out swinging. Nice, um, nice. But uh, but Forrest Gump, um. The reason Forrest Gump is a terrible film mm -hmm. um, is because Forrest is an inactive protagonist, mm -hmm. right? And and inactive in that he's not really affecting change, save for the one scene in Vietnam mm -hmm. um, where he inadvertently like does it. You know what sure, I mean? Sure, sure. But nothing that's happening around him affects him. Yeah, and like that's boring. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like just like just like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where there's not really a plot, it's about how the world is affecting someone. Right, it's so affecting these characters. Right, exactly. Yeah. And Forrest Gump is just like, <laughs> Elvis, which <laughs> I think I'm, I don't think I'm mistaken, Kurt Russell did the voice of Elvis. Oh, really? <laughs> in Forrest Gump. But the actor who played Elvis was the guy from, uh, the Frighteners, mm. um, who dies first in The Frighteners, the main girl's stupid boyfriend. Right, um, anyways, right. Um, but yeah, Forrest Gump is, to me, is nothing but nostalgia. Yes. You know what I mean? And like, so, but when you see Leo inserted into The Great Escape, um, it's about, it's about Leo, not about us, not about our memory of the moon landing, not about our memory of Vietnam. You know what I mean? Sure. It's a, it's a, it's about Leo's character. We're there to see that, you know. And Forrest Gump just right place, right time, right marketing. It's also the only PG thirteen film with full frontal nudity, graphic war violence, <laughs> rampant drug use, and multiple <laughs> uses of the f word. Yeah, you know, they were allowed to get. Away I wonder with what's it, what's it play there? <laughs> oh, but he. He runs real fast and the braces break off. And <laughs> they all have AIDS at the end, but we don't address it. <laughs> well, before before we move on to the next puzzle piece, do you want to say any words about Kung Pao? While, oh, while, while you have the chance, you know. <laughs> oh, I, I genuinely, Kung Pao um, is arguably, in, for me, the funniest movie that's ever been made. It's so and, good. Um, it's so fucking yeah. good. Um, I mean, you can't convince anybody one way or the other to like it or not. You can only hope that they see it and discover it for themselves. Yeah, exactly. But I will say one time my coworker at Blockbuster asked me if he could borrow the movie because I used to talk about it so much and I loaned it to him. And he came back to me. He's like, dude, I couldn't even finish this movie. And I have this friend, Joe Neal, uh, who he and I, that's our movie. Like we laugh so much at that movie. When we try to watch it with other people, they just leave. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was on the phone with Joe Neal later that night. I was like, dude, I gave Clayton kung pao and he said he couldn't even finish it and joe goes why did the power go out <laughs> <laughs> hilarious um 
I'm still waiting for the sequel. I know. Um, I, I was just talking about it like two days ago with someone. When, when is the sequel going to finally happen? It, there's a series of, of Kung Fu movies called um, martial arts films, rather called uh, the crippled masters mm-hmm. where it's a guy with no arms and a guy with no legs who like team up to fight together. Mm-hmm. And I always thought it would be brilliant if the sequel, the chosen one finds his twin brother and they're the crippled masters, like chosen one gets uh, his arms cut off or it, whatever. You run into you know? so many people out there in Hollywood. You need you need to find Odenkirk, find out when it's happening. It's got. I've got a few loose connections. I think I can make it happen. <laughs> yes. You're right. You've re-inspired me. <laughs> Thank you. Once upon a time in Hollywood, yes. without you, Kung Pao Two would not exist. <laughs> oh, I would be so happy. So... You're welcome, David. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you got for your next puzzle piece? Okay, so the next one I got is um, uh, I almost didn't want to do this one either, but Inherent Vice. Okay. Um. Uh, this one, part of it's personal. Um, there was no movie that I was anticipating more than Inherent Vice. Mm. Um, I just like everything about it was just, I was, oh, I was so ready. Um, it was everything I love about movies seemed to be coming together into one perfect film that was going to change things. Mm -hmm. And when I saw it, I was like, "Mm, well, maybe I'll love it eventually. (laughs) And so somebody gave me a screener of it. Um, to watch too because i have a lot of friends and you know who are in the guild and we watched it all and we watched a couple times and i'd seen it like five times and i was like i swear one day i'm gonna love this movie like i just i can feel it in my bones yeah and then it came out on blu-ray and i was like ah i'm gonna buy it i don't like this movie but right. i'm gonna one day and i bought it and i watched it a couple times i'm like i'm gonna love it i'm gonna love it and then they played it at the new beverly quentin tarantino's theater mm-hmm. as a midnight movie on film and about an hour and 40 minutes into the movie, it switches reels. And I went, wait a minute. This comes later. This, this, this doesn't happen here. They, they skipped a reel. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, shit. They, and I went out into the lobby, and I, I said to the guy, I said, dude, you, you, you skipped a reel. You, you, you messed up. And he's like, I'll check. You know? And I went, I went back into the theater, and the reel kept playing. And then when it was done with that reel, suddenly it was the reel that was missing. I was like, oh, shit, they swapped that. They, you know, so the movie ends and everybody's leaving. And I'm asking people, like, did you notice that, like, they, they flopped those two? And everyone's like, no. <laughs> like, no, like, none of the, I was like, no. And I was like, have you seen the movie? And they're like, yeah, of course. I love it. I was like, they flipped it. And they're like, no. And then I asked the guy, is everyone left? And I was like, dude, did you? And he goes, yeah, dude, fucking reels five and six. We, we fucked up. Huh. And I was the only person who noticed and uh, or at least mentioned it. And uh, that's when I realized I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> that, it, that, like, you don't have to be on board 100% with everything that something is. And something doesn't have to live up to your expectations. Sure. You know what I mean? When we're just looking to have our expectations met or to have, you know, to see something sensational, then we're doing ourselves a disservice. Um, because much like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I mean, I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel like if you took Quentin's name off of this, It'd be hard to guess who made it. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Other than all the shots of the feet. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, even, it is even, very different from his other films in a lot of ways. Yeah, even the ending, which, you know, is the most Tarantino part of the whole thing, the violence in it is uglier than his violence. Mm-hmm. Like, the violence is real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Up until the flamethrower. Yeah. Like, the violence is, is like, you don't want to look at it. Kill Bill, you want to see the head lopped off. Yeah. You know, Glorious Bastards, you want to see Hitler exploding. Yeah. You know, but this, like, that girl getting her face smashed in, that's not pleasant. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, like I think that both films are like, you know, auteurs that we come to expect something from who really just say, guys, I think movies are in a place right now. Hollywood is in a place right now that's just not healthy. And they make these, they both, Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin have made these films about an era forgotten where like it's not like they're saying things are better it's like they're saying this is where the split happened Mm. maybe we went down the wrong path or maybe we've gone so far down the one path that we forgot about all the other paths that we could have taken Mm -hmm. um and uh i don't think they're trying to i think that both these films are films for hollywood um like a kind of a I don't want to say a wake up call because that's a condescension, mm-hmm. but just kind of a checking in or a reminder of like, guys, like there's a lot more to explore in mind than just money. Sure. Like there's a lot more to 
explore than just sensationalism and and big payoffs like this is an art form and not to say we should be like saying something deep with everything that we do but there is artistry to it yeah yeah and there is excitement in creating you know like i can't imagine being like working on a marvel movie for the most part not that i feel bad because i feel like i'm shitting on them i kind of am but not <laughs> that like they're very assembly in a way you're part of an assembly mm -hmm. but like gosh the freedom to to just be able to hang out with cliff booth or you know hang out with with doc sportello in in uh inherent vice just uh -huh. to live in a world that isn't yours wasn't that what movies were designed to do in the first place you get to live in a world completely outside of what's attainable to you sure you know well i you know to speak to the initial puzzle piece to inherent vice i i absolutely i didn't write it down as a puzzle piece but um i was thinking about that because you know, like I said, when I first saw this, I, you know, watched out of the theater. I'm like, I don't know if I really like it. And it's just been slowly over the last three days, just, just creeping into my mind and I'm enjoying it more and more. And while I haven't had that experience with Inherent Vice, I still have only seen it the one time and I've never grown to love it. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's absolutely like, you know, coming on the heels of so many freaking great movies in a row from PTA, um, you know, I, I was looking forward to it so much and that feeling of like, like, oh, this is going to be the best movie. It looks so damn good. And then just walking out and, like, your expectations aren't, you know, it doesn't have to be the thing that you expected it to be, you know? And you're either going to connect with it or not, you know? It's, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. You got to look at movies that way, you know? My big problem with PTA is that he's obviously so angry at Hollywood that he's intentionally trying to make things that are inaccessible. Right. Like, right. that's, like, part of his goal right now, which it's like, fuck you, get over yourself. <laughs> My other thing that I don't like about Paul Thomas Anderson is that he very obvious to me hates women. Mm. And um, that the whole second half of his body of work has been about how women get in the way or have let him down or, you know, like, it's very frustrating to watch his uh, even Inherent Vice, as much as I do love it, is obviously about how a woman manipulates a man to get what she wants without giving him anything in return. Mm. Um, I hadn't but, thought uh, of it, but I, I mean, like I said, I've only seen it the one time, so. Yeah, well, I, after Phantom Thread, I don't know that I'll ever go to one of his films again. <laughs> um, not speaking to the quality, which I'm sorry, I felt the quality was poor, mm. but, uh, but just like where he's at, mm. um, and what he's willing to say and put out there, I just, I'm not okay with. And I know Quentin gets some flack sometimes. It's always funny to me when somebody tries to like get on Quentin, like, oh, how you treat women. It's like, really? Yeah. Really? The guy who gave us The Bride and Jackie Brown and Shoshana, like, you're gonna be like, oh, you don't treat women well? It's okay. maddening, dude. Like, oh, there's, there, like, you know, as part of the promotion of this podcast, I'm on film Twitter a lot, which is the most toxic place in the world, but, uh, it, like, just seeing the people trying to have that side of the argument, I, I just, I can't even, it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, this guy has written some of the best female characters of the last 20 years. I mean... Absolutely. Well, think about it. not to not to dog on Paul Thomas Anderson, but like think about his female characters. Mm. Has he ever had a strong female character? I mean, I would kind of say Amy Adams in uh, The Master, but who's the bad guy? Right. Sure. <laughs> Who turns out to be the master manipulator? Right. That breaks up a friendship. Yeah. That changed both their lives. I guess that's a way to look at it for sure. <laughs> know what i mean though I, like, I i get it i i i hear you for sure why do we like him so much that's the question that's the question well i'm gonna go to another puzzle piece i got two more uh all right first up i am going to talk a little bit about zodiac david finch i was gonna say that one too oh yeah you had that one uh -huh. yeah the, uh -huh. the the whole spawn ranch scene uh it kind of just it had that just gut-wrenching just tension of like a zodiac uh and it, specifically of course the uh the whole basement scene at the end but really so much the whole freaking movie um it it really is one of the most tension-filled movies like ever as far as i'm concerned and it uh and it's really only the spawn ranch scene of course where you really get that kind of feeling and that's where i'm i'm this is more of a specific scene comparison uh but yeah i mean i i love zodiac are you a big fan of it i hate it you hate it okay i do i do yeah so i'm yeah, curious yeah. then what is your uh where do you find a connection then 
Okay. See, funny. I didn't even think of the Spawn Ranch thing until you said it, which you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and also like, I mean, it's obvious it's it very similar to the, uh, um, the basement scene yeah. in, um, Zodiac, which I actually, when I saw it in the theater, I was like, they, as much as I love Charles Fleischer, we're friends. I know him. Like, it's like, dude, cut that scene out. Like, you don't, <laughs> but, um, but the reason I was going to bring up Zodiac was because it is a period specific, almost period indulgent film, just like this. Mm -hmm. It is a sprawling three hour ensemble mm -hmm. um, that the first time you see it, you have to understand the movie is not about catching the Zodiac. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The movie is not plot driven. It's not about solving the case. We know the case wasn't solved. Right, right. You know what I mean? The movie is about obsession mm -hmm. the movie is about you know what i mean like what it awakens in those people sure right like like and, it, and it's 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 the movie is about yeah it's it's about compulsion it's about obsession it's not a it's not a plot driven movie just like inherent vice or uh, just <laughs> just like once upon a time in hollywood sure yeah um, no that's actually a really good point too i i hadn't thought of it in that way but that makes total sense one of the reasons I don't like um, Zodiac, um, it's not speaking to the quality, because, I mean, it's hard to argue with, like, the craft of a David Fincher film. Sure, yeah. Um, I really can't stand his work. I think it's offensive and terrible, say, for Alien 3 and Social Network. Mm. But one thing about Zodiac that, I, that bothers me about movies is it's so lacking in female perspective. Mm. Um, You've got close to me, you know, in there. You've got a couple uh, ladies, if you will. But while Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is, you know, Cliff and Rick's movie, um, Sharon Tate acts as the spiritual guide sure. for the film. And when you've got Cliff's storyline going on, it's a mostly female-driven world that he's coming into conflict with, right? Like. Um, through Margaret Qualley's pussycat character, mm -hmm. Margaret Qualley's, uh, and through Dakota Fanning, a squeaky, like he just automatically assumes that this is a terrible person taking advantage of this guy, right? But yeah. um, maybe she actually likes him. Same thing with Leo. Um, in his, who's who's the catalyst for him wanting to create change in his life? It's a little girl. Sure. Who offers him a new perspective that he's closed himself off from. That You know what I mean? Quentin very brilliantly weaves the female spirit and perspective and presence into his film. And I feel like Fincher is also very anti-women. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like Zodiac, um, to me, is lacking that perspective mm. um, uh, across the board. And, and, and not that that's a criticism, necessarily. Sure. It's just not what interests me. Gotcha. I mean, you know? it makes sense. Absolutely makes sense because yeah, I mean, there's definitely not a strong female uh, point of view in that movie at all. Like no character that really stands out. Yeah, I I just you know I've gone through a lot in my life, and I find that the times where I fuck up my life the most are the times when I forget about um like the like the women in my life right. or like <laughs> when I, you know what I mean like like I'm 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 a big dumb oaf you know <laughs> yeah. I, I I'm smarter than the average bear but like. Having perspectives that aren't yours, um, I think, are so important. Oh, hell yeah. And um, you, you know what I mean? And I feel like in a movie, especially, even if just to create, for lack of a better word, drama, mm. um, what is it with these dude fests? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like um, sometimes. I, I feel bad, because like, I, I assume you really like Zodiac. I, uh, um, I do. Which... Which most people do, you you know what I mean? Sure. Like 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 so so I I, I hope I make I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, I've said my piece. I've said <laughs> fuck Zodiac. Where are the chicks? <laughs> hey, hey, you like Kung Pao? You're all right in my book. So you know. Oh, back at you, sir. <laughs> back at you. Well, what do you got for your next puzzle piece? No, you you stole it. It's uh, it's all good. I want to hear this last puzzle piece of yours. Okay. Well, speaking of David Fincher, I'm going to bring up another one of his movies. Um, so I, 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 I want it to be said right up front. I do not think this at all, but it's just a silly thought that came into my head. Um, and that is a comparison to fight club. Uh, you know, Brad Pitt's character is just this ultimate 
unattainable cool, you know, which of course, like to even think that about Tyler Durden and Fight Club is just the most ridiculous thing, but that is what he was. And uh, Cliff Booth in his own way is also just this like insanely cool character. And I started thinking about the fact that, uh, you know, just like a Fight Club, you know, why couldn't Cliff Booth be a uh, an extension of Rick Dalton's psyche, you know? <laughs> Not really sure. be his own uh his own actual character in the movie. And uh of course I don't think that that is the case, but it is something that popped in my head and I wanted to share and who knows maybe Fight Club was an inspiration on the character uh you know to put Brad Pitt again in that kind of a character who is like a symbol of of the of what the main character doesn't have and what he isn't. Well, like I, it's always stood out to me uh, all three times that I've seen the film that Brad Pitt at the end, at the beginning of the movie, what is he wearing? He's wearing a denim jacket den- and, and jeans, mm-hmm. right? At the end of the movie, he's wearing white denim and a white, white jacket mm-hmm. and white jeans. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's, he's the savior at the end of the film. You know what I mean? He's the guardian angel mm-hmm. of sorts for, um, for leo's character yeah um because even though leo flame throws the chick i mean she's already dead you're right yeah <laughs> you know what i mean she's already stabbed bashed in the face and you know bitten to shit by a dog yeah you know she's dead <laughs> um he is the guardian angel um you know um it's kind of like the the total 180 of fight club in a way which you know the yin and yang i guess sure so that is an interesting comparison i think yeah um um, I think that there's a real beauty in the fact that this movie doesn't try to be cool. It just is. I think that Fight Club, I mean, you can probably tell I hate that film. Yeah. <laughs> um, has a, has, I feel like that movie promotes evil and stagnation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I feel like it, it, it kind of at best is the message of like, well, can't do anything about it. So like, fuck it, <laughs> you know, um. And I'm just not into that. Sure. Um, this movie uh, is the complete opposite. It's very, it's very beach bum. It's very like, hey man, dig it. Right, right, you right. Well, I, um, I, Matthew I, McConaughey might have made a decent Cliff Booth. Ooh, yeah he he could have he could have fit that role pretty. He could have played either of them actually. Sure. Oh, and that's yeah. bringing it back to Tropic Thunder again because he was so great in that too. <laughs> he's he's my favorite thing about Tropic Thunder. <laughs> He's so that great. joke where he's like talking about kids. He's like, he's like, uh, what does he say? Like, at least you get to pick yours. I'm stuck with mine. He looks at the picture of his fat son. And he just goes, ah. <laughs> <laughs> like this is. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's so good. Yeah, that, that that is one of the few laughs that movie got out of me. But it definitely got that out of me for sure. <laughs> Oh my god! Well, do do you have any more puzzle pieces? No, nah, I just wish you could have compared it to a different Ben Stiller directed movie like Cable Guy. Find <laughs> a way to tie it to Cable Guy because that's now that's a film. We'll have to think about it. Yeah. Uh, we'll find another movie to compare to uh, Cable Guy and get you on for that one. But uh... God bless it. I'm, re- I'm I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> well, I'm gonna do the finished puzzle and read down this list of movies. Uh, we have got Billy Jack. Hail Caesar, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Tropic Thunder, American Psycho, Synecdoche, New York, The Aviator, Forrest Gump, Kung Pao, we also talked about, uh, Inherent Vice, Zodiac, and Fight Club. So we got a really wow. interesting list of movies there. Um, would you have any closing thoughts about this movie? I just hope that all the people listening to this podcast just try to go down that list of movies and try to watch them all. Yeah, right. Now, like in that order. Like, I wonder what kind of like. <laughs> that is a film festival yeah. right there. Holy shit. Yeah, I tell you, you know, yeah. you got to You're going to have to sit through two Fincher films, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> hey, kidding. they're two just good kidding. ones. So come on. I, I mean, I guess whatever. If you like the Pixies. At least I, I'll finally you know. get to watch Inherent Vice again, because I, I have been wanting to give it a chance one of these days. But that's one of the movies I keep on my computer that I just watch just in case I'm somewhere. And yeah. like I, I only have my laptop and it's like late. I want, you know, I just need like a blanket, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Inherent vice. Nice. Well, uh, Joe, this has been great. Uh, as always, want to ask you uh, if there's a movie, another movie you've seen recently you'd like to recommend. Another movie that I've seen recently. Um, 
No, not none that are really popping in my mind like the last time, like when I saw Uptight. Right. Um, that was that was just uh I still recommend Uptight if you haven't. <laughs> well go see uh once upon a time in hollywood again i guess so oh yeah oh absolutely oh i did see the new spider-man i really enjoyed that okay. it's very nice right on it's nice to see a movie for 10 year old that was only meant for 10 year olds. <laughs> nice oh wait oh witches of eastwick mm. i never saw it have you seen it have you seen this film uh have i ever seen which i must have i feel like Dude, i have it is when when you talk about like an assembly of talent yeah. that's just un like you've got on camera you've got Jack Nicholson, Susan Sarandon, Cher, and Michelle Pfeiffer, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I mean your on-screen talent is on par, but then you've got operating the camera, you got Vilmos Zygmunt, right? Yeah. And directing it, you've got George Miller, writer director George Miller. Huh. Like the assembly of talent is in full swing, dude. Oh, dude, yeah. See, my niece, my niece Cheney came to visit me for the first time. She's 13. She came to visit me in L.A. all the way from Florida, and she showed it to me. And we rented it from a video store, Cinephile Video, Santa Monica, go. <laughs> um, and halfway through, we rented the DVD, and halfway through, I was like, turn this off. And I, we went to Amoeba up the street, and we bought two Blu-ray copies. Mm. Um, one for me, one for her, and finished it on Blu-ray. Um, which is a beast week. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, classic. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, Joe, where can people find your stuff? Uh, you know, Facebook, uh, you just look up blue means pregnant films. Um, we have a Facebook page right now. That's it. We, uh, by the end of the year though, we will have an official like real site, real, like where you can see all the films. And, um, you know, there's some worth watching in there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, hey, thanks as always, and I'm hoping to have you back soon, man. I, anytime, anytime. Welcome to the world's first podcast. Well, the first one they've done. Gas Money Pictures presents Filmmakers On, a podcast for filmmakers by filmmakers about the ever-changing media landscape. Each Thursday, hosts Jay Horton and Sean Alden Reed speak to a media insider about their journey through the industry and how to survive without going crazy. Segments like What Are You Watching, Media Roundup, and It's Your Turn give Jay and Sean the opportunity to do their favorite thing discuss what's going on in movies, TV, and media, and mainly disagree. Filmmakers On is available on your favorite podcasting app or at www.filmmakerson.com. And check them out on social media, at Filmmakers On. All right, so that does it for our conversation about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood from Quentin Tarantino. I want to thank Joe Black for being here and uh, Chad Clinton Freeman. He's actually recovering from eye surgery right now. So hopefully once everything is all good and clear, he'll be able to go watch the movie and maybe we'll do like a, uh, a special follow-up episode, get his thoughts on it because I know he had been really looking forward to doing this episode. So Chad quick recovery and uh you gotta go see this movie man so uh that does it for today i want to thank you all for listening and remind you to please rate and review us on apple podcasts uh make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app of choice and follow us on social media at peacing pod we will be back on Friday with a special ranking episode where we rank all of the films of Quentin Tarantino. It's a really fun conversation. And uh, until then, let's leave you guys with a piece of music. And, you know, I'm trying to think of one that would fit the uh, old-time Hollywood theme of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't really have one. Um, but what I do have is something that fits the Tarantino grindhouse kind of thing. Our buddy Chad Clinton Freeman, who was supposed to be here for this episode, had a film festival called Polygrind. And my comedy rap group, MC Random and Jewish Dave, did a theme song for Polygrind a few years into the run of the festival. And, uh, yeah, it's absolutely inspired by a Tarantino-like film. Feel. so why don't we play that for you guys today so this is hustle fight grind the polygrind theme life is hard sometimes in order to get what you want you gotta get your hands a little dirty and hustle for what's yours and sometimes you have to take a stand for what's right when nobody's watching out for you you gotta watch out for yourself and sometimes you gotta get even dirtier when there's no getting around it 
that time is right now. It's time to grind. Skulls were shattering, doors were switching, was pushing buttons, and we're on to something. Individuality, diversity, and creativity is what we need. And now we're gonna get a film festival of a different breed. With Ted B. Michaels and the rest of the infamous psychos. Him, him, her, and what's her name? All getting down playing the buddy game. Lloyd Kaufman, Robin Leach, and Jack Clinton Freeman. Answer your phone during a screen and get eaten by a demon. Or Markovitz, Garvey, it's Polly Staffel. You only keep your soul if you win a next raffle. Theater 7 is a spot where all this madness is happening. Drive down third, it looks like a zombie. Gathering with screams like a scene straight out of hell That I hope that your film doesn't get trapped by Josh Bell